0: Okay, we're ready to start. We're going to we are finishing tonight the uh, series we, we've been in for several weeks now, and uh, hopefully that you have learned a lot of different things, and part of that should uh, make you be a little bit cautious about about at least being aware of what's going on around you. I guess one of the biggest things that I look at when I look at what we've talked about so much is it seems like people are so personality driven that once they find a personality they like they don't care what they say. And that's not what the God, God has called the church to be. We are to check out everybody. Everybody. It's not, it's not walking around like a, you're suspicious of everybody. It's just what we're called to do. Because the final authority as we've said over and over again is not the speaker but the final authority is the word of God. And so we have to know that. So tonight I want to talk about talk to you about and give you hopefully some I call this one back to the basics and how we keep ourselves safe from apostasy. And and you know, I could say it very simply. Walk in a right relationship with Jesus. That'd take care of it. But what does that look like? Every good relationship looks like something. And God doesn't leave us just to wonder what a good relationship looks like when we talk about walking in a right relationship with Jesus. The Bible gives us, I think, specific instruction. I've picked out some verses for tonight, but there, there are so many others I could have added to it, and certainly you could add many to it also. Uh, but he's called us to walk in that right relationship, and the one that's a biblical relationship that is biblically described. Uh, after Resurrection Sunday, my hope is that we will... I'm gonna, I to. I do want to... Deal with the, we've dealt with the, the non-Christian groups, we've dealt with the word faith groups, and the, we added the progressive Christianity group into this one. But I, I want us to, to, look next, next we're gonna look at on Sunday at the evangelical church and its movement and where it's at and stuff. I started reading a book that was given to me, and I can't hardly put it down. It's just, it's just very eye-opening, uh, and it may, may shock you as we look at ourselves. And it's a good thing to do. Look at ourselves at these things. There's a lot of good things going on, but we also have to look at ourselves honestly to see where we're at. Okay? So, let's conclude this series of sermons tonight. Back to the basin, keeping, self, keeping oneself uh, safe from apostasy in our day. Remember we said at the beginning of this whole thing that, that Jude told us that we are to contend earnestly for the faith that was once and for all given to the saints. Now we read in Peter, as he closes out his second letter here 's what he says, chapter three, second Peter, starting verse fourteen. He says, "Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found in him in peace, without spot and blameless. Isn't that a wonderful call, found in him in peace, without spot and blameless, and consider that the long suffering of our Lord is salvation, as, as also our brother our, our beloved brother Paul according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you. Also, as, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which some things hard to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction, as they do also the rest of scriptures. You, therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware, lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked." but grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be glory, both now and forever. Amen. I mean, if you're going to close out a letter, the last letter you're going to write, that is a great way to close out a letter and to encourage your brothers and sisters uh, to, to stay in the Lord, to be steadfast and don't don't be moved and tossed to and fro, as we've talked about before, by every doctrine that comes along Uh but you'll notice there again. I want to remind—he gives a warning. You and I should not be surprised at the apostasy that's all around us. We may be surprised because we've kind of not looked very closely at the extent of it. But the fact that it's all around us uh, is is not, a, not shouldn't be a surprising thing to anybody who who spends time in the Scripture. Because, as he says, not only does Peter warn us here, but he said Paul warned us over and over again about about these various things. So, what is our defense? Again, simply stated, to walk in a right relationship with the Lord. What does, biblically, a right relationship with the Lord look like? There are some components, I think, that the Bible teaches us. So let's break this down tonight and let's look at it. The first component, it seems like we're, we're either going back here, or that's going to sound real good on there, I don't know. <laughs> we're either going back here or starting here over and over again, aren't we, David? With his first thing, This matter of prayer. A prayer. We're reminded that a good relationship with God always begins with the Lord Jesus Christ, always begins with prayer. We could say that a prayerless Christian is a powerless Christian. We could say that. We could say that a prayerless Christian is a Christian that's open to the attacks of the enemy. A prayerless Christian is a Christian that's open to hearing many voices instead of the one voice that we've been called to hear the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, in the Scripture, we're reminded over and over again to pray, to pray. What does prayer mean? We've done a full study on prayer, and I'm one of those guys that like to condense things down. And to me, prayer really just means, and all that it means, is that we are privileged to come into communion with the living God. He allows us to come into His presence. We can speak to Him, and we can hear from Him. What a great thing that God has given us. And and so, He's given us this, this matter of prayer. So, I broke this, this matter of prayer down into five different categories. Uh, and we're going to try to go through these very quickly. Uh, John chapter 15, verse 7. And I'm going to just use you up there, sort of flipping through and stuff right here, because I want to get through these, okay? When we, when we pray, faith is important. Would you agree? Well, if you're if you're going to pray without faith, you might as well not pray at all. But remember, when we when we define faith, we do not define it the way that the word faith people as some some mystical force that that basically makes God do what you want Him to do, or makes things, not even God makes anything happen the way you want it to happen. Remember what when we talk about faith, faith is our response to God's initiative. That is, God is always the first mover. God moves in our life, He does things in our life, and our faith is our response to God moving and acting in our life. So we'll record, we're reminded here in John chapter 15 verse seven. He says it, "If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it will be done for you." That's a great promise. That's the words of Jesus promising us, promising us what? He said, "If we abide in Him." Now, that's a, that's a big if, isn't it, for us a lot of time in prayer. If we abide in Him and His Word abides in us, from that point when we ask, then He will do what we ask. Now here's the point. Think about these, these two, bless you, these two qualifiers. You and I abiding in Him and His Word abiding in us. What is the control, what are the controlling factors of what we will ask in prayer? What He does. Our requests don't stem from with; they don't come from within us. They come from a from a from a they come from a a a literal place of faith. They start with God. As we abide in Him and His Word abides in us, what are we going to ask? We're going to ask those things that God initiates in our life. And when God initiates us to pray, He's going to initiate us to pray in His will and what He says. What he leads us to pray, we will we will receive. That's exactly what he says right there. Okay, it's not. It doesn't make God do anything. It's not a magical force that changes the elements of the world and the universe and all those kind of things. It's not a guarantee of riches or health or or any of those things. It is literally. Think about this: the living, eternal God living in your life, speaking through you, guiding you in the times that you. Even when you speak to Him, He's guiding that, and you're coming into agreement with God. Think about it. you're. It's not so much God coming into ag- faith is not God coming into agreement with us. If you think about biblical faith as you and I coming into agreement with God. Yeah. And God's going to do what God says He's going to do. The neat thing is He allows us to be part of it. So, faith is the first factor when we talk about prayer. The second factor is adoration. Psalm 95, verse 6. Look what he says there. He says, Oh come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our God, our maker. Verse 7 go say, For he is our God, and we are his people. Or we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you will hear his voice. Go on. There's one, there's one more verse. Did I, that's where you stopped, right? Okay, we'll stop there at the hand. What's the call? A crucial part of prayer is not only faith, but a crucial part of prayer is adoration. What is adoration? Adoration is from the inside out, acknowledging who God is. Now, when you come to the place where you know who God is, you can't help but adore Him. You can't help but worship Him. You can't help but declare the greatness of who He is. It's someone that doesn't know Him that has trouble with worship. As someone who doesn't know him that has, that has trouble with, with declaring his goodness and his greatness and, and the wonder of his grace and his mercy and his love and all these wonderful things. You know, when you know him, you don't just talk about his attributes, you live his attributes. You, 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 you celebrate his, his attributes. And when you talk about all the things that he is, it, it, it's, I get to share this wonderful thing. I get to speak these truths. God has allowed me to do that. And in prayer, a important part of prayer is that we, we it is a matter of worship or adoration. Don't 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 let that be missing from your prayer. Don't let your prayer just turn into one of the things that's important here. We're going to talk about it a little bit later. But many people's prayers, all they are is asking. There's a neglect neglecting of, of first coming into agreement with him, first moving to the place of faith, and then these other things flow out of that. Okay, that's the reason why I put faith first. These other things flow out and, and certainly in many people's prayer life, this matter of worship and adoration is completely missing. There's little acknowledgement. There's little time of worship. There's little time of, of just being before him and and, and glorying in, in his presence and, and who he is. Faith. Adoration. The next word, confession. Okay? Psalm chapter 51, verse 4. He's, David says this, "...against you, you only have I sinned, and done this evil in your sight." that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. So, confession is a part of prayer. When you pray, it's important to confess. So you look at the model prayer, what do you say? Forgive us our debts, our sins, as we forgive those who have sinned or are indebted to us. So. Confession is an important part, and we've talked about what confession is very quickly. This is basic. Most of you all know all this stuff, but it's good to be reminded of this as we talk about sinning against apostasy. Your heart needs to be right before God. In in a real way, every born-again Christian is right before God. But he also gives us instruction in 1 John chapter 1. I preached this a few weeks ago, that as believers, we are to walk in right relationship with God and right fellowship with God. And when we sin, we're to confess those sins. And realize that when we do that, he forgives us of those sins and cleanses us from all unrighteousness. And confession is not telling God anything. Again, confession is coming into agreement with God concerning our sin. So you can put it this way. Confession is beginning to see our sin the way God sees it. Okay? And, and again, sometimes we, we make light of sin in our lives and in the lives of others. But remember, it's our sin, it's our sin that Jesus went to the cross and died for. And if we had no sin, there would have been no need for him to suffer in the way he did. So it's not a small thing to sin. It ought to tear us up when we sin against God. When we begin to see it the way God does. And that's confession. That matter of, and confession is not just saying I'm sorry. It's the easiest two words in the, in the vocabulary, I'm sorry. Most time we mean, I'm sorry I got caught. Okay? It really is coming to a place where, where you have that, that, that hurt, actually that hurt heart concerning the sin in your life. And you don't want that sin in your life. You, you know, you, you want it out of there and you don't want to go back to it. Okay? The fourth thing, Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. A part of prayer and Thanksgiving, uh, Colossians 2, 7, root and build up in Him and establish in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it, it with what? Thanksgiving, that we are to be a people, we are to be a people that um, are thankful. Does anybody in here have anything to be thankful to God about? Anybody have anything in here that that you have, that you don't have to be thankful to God about? I guess that's bad English, but so what? You're used to it. You think my English is bad, you should have heard my Creole. Okay, I can really hobble that Creole stuff, so... uh, Oh, it's bad. Uh, So, what I'm saying is, there's nothing we have that, that we ought not to be thankful for. Our very existence ought to. Thanksgiving ought to flow out of us just because we exist. Does it ever blow your mind that God would use you for anything in His kingdom? That He would ever speak to you about anything? That He would ever give you, you know... Some of you are great teachers in this room. Some of you write good things; you're great writers and stuff. And I read some of the things you write. I listen to some of you teach, and and, and I'm sitting there, thank you, God, thank you, God, for these people that you've given insight to. They don't just read the book and say, "Oh, this is a word here, word there." God's that's a wonderful thing to be thankful for, you know. Are you thankful for the people that God's put in your life, the good, the bad, and the ugly? Okay? I didn't didn't mean to be with this (laughs) like that. I don't know who I pointed to for bad, but hey, I'm sorry. Uh, But, you know, we we ought to be the most thankful people on the face of the earth. And and as I grow older, I'm, I'm, I'm believing this more. I've said it a lot of times, but I'm starting to believe it more. You ever done that? You say things because you know it's the right thing to say, but life brings you to a place where you actually begin to believe it. You know, but the truth is if God, when I look at the world and I look at all around, if all that God ever did for me was forgive me of my sin and give me eternal life and nothing else was ever poured into my life, that's more than I, that really is more than I deserve. Yeah, look at our God. He he did save us. He did forgive us of our sin. And then he pours blessing upon blessing, goodness upon goodness. And even when we have to go through hard times, he never abandons us. Amen. We may have to suffer. We may have to go through hard things, just like anybody else does. But we never have to go through alone. We never have to go through alone. And the last thing that when we talk about prayer is a matter of supplication. And Jesus taught us to pray, "Give us this day our daily bread." And supplication basically is asking. Is it okay to ask God for things? Well, of course it is. Jesus taught us that we could do those things. Supplication, you know, has two parts. There are the things that we ask for ourselves, and there are the things that we ask for. For others. And what a privilege that we have a father who is in heaven that cares about every aspect of your life. And it's okay to ask him. It's okay to bring those requests to him. You say, what, what happens if I uh, ask the wrong thing? Then you have a loving father who will speak loving correction into your life. And he will say, no, my child. If you listen, he'll say, no, my child. That is not something that I, I'm going to To give you right now. That's not something I'm going to do in your life right now. But I like how Paul put it. I mean God made it pretty clear to Paul didn't he? He said said to Paul. Paul I'm not going to take that away from you. But I want you to know this my son. My grace will be sufficient for you. So we may ask. And it's not wrong to ask. It's a good thing to ask. But remember that we have a loving father in heaven. Who has a wonderful plan. An eternal plan for our lives. And none of us know all the paths that he has planned to take us down. And how he might choose to use us. That's why some of the things that we learned about the, the health, wealth, uh, teaching, gospel, whatever they say, are, is so Insidious because th- th- there's only one view that they can see god god can only use a healthy person god can only use someone who is miraculously cured god can only use someone who believes him enough to to believe and and speak wealth into their own life and stuff and and ultimately again you get to the point where when that doesn't work who's the failure well it's never the faith teacher that's the failure it is never listen to me watch look it is never the faith teacher or the The miracle healer, who's a problem. It's either you, because you don't have enough faith to believe, or somehow God failed. And that's an incredible, arrogant approach to things. What if God's plan for you is that you're going to go through hard times? What if that's is that okay with you? Let me tell you, it's still okay to ask. So it's still okay. I always, I tell you, I always ask God, would you bring healing into the life of someone I love very much? Would you? God, would you take care of people? God, I'm going to ask. As long as I have breath, I'm going to ask. Until God says, if I feel like God says, nope, stop asking, it's done, okay. But until he does, I'm going to keep asking, you know, and in faith asking. Okay, so we begin with prayer. That's your first defense against the apostasy of our day. Everything starts, I really believe, it, everything starts with prayer. You've got to start here before you move on down the list. Because it is at this place that, that, that the other things become more real to you. Because, remember, in prayer you come into communion with the living God. And you're making yourself aware, or you're letting the Holy Spirit make you aware, to what God's doing around you and in you and through you. Because remember, I would like to quote Blackaby. What's he, what's he talking about? He said, God is on mission all around you. God's at work all around you. And what he wants to do is he wants you to join him. But you can't join him if you're not aware of what he's doing, if you're not sensitive to what he's doing. So that's what prayer does. Now, the second defense against the apostates and the apostate of our time is right here. We talk about this a lot, don't we? About the Bible, okay? And how do you approach the Bible? Well, again, I'm going to break this down for you. Uh, The first thing, memorize. Now, I know this, this one really bothers people. I can't memorize. I can't memorize. There's a spot there won't go away. I can't memorize. You know what? There are people who have sharp minds. And there are many of us that don't. But you know, one of the best ways to memorize it, I find out, is to keep spending time in the Bible. It may not be that you're going to be one of those persons that can sit down and memorize three words, then add a word to it. You ever done that in school? You add a word, you add a word until you get it all down. You may have, you may do it that way and stuff. Basically, that's how I got through Greek class, by the way. So. Okay? You know, and you really don't learn much that way. But the best way to memorize is to spend time there. Okay? Memorize. What's, what's Joshua say? He says, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. See what he says? You've got to meditate on it. You've got to be in it. Okay? goes on to say, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it for then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. Gotta spend time in this. What David said, your word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. Talks about that, okay? It's an amazing thing what the Holy Spirit does. I know many of you have, have, uh, experienced this. When you, you spent time in God's word and you, you've meditated on God's word, you've read it, you've studied it, you've done all this thing, And just at the right time, a verse comes. And you might not be able to say, well, I know that's John 17, but you know it's a verse. And you know what the verse says. You know what the verse means. You may even know what book it's in. Maybe even book and chapter. And some of you know book, chapter, and verse. Okay? That's what the Holy Spirit does. And do I believe that he can supernaturally give you a verse that you've never read before? Of course I believe that he can do that. But I also believe that what he intends for us to do is to be in the word. So that he can remind us of the word that we have received at the moment that we need it. And to accomplish the purpose that he has his word for. So we need to be in the Bible. We need to, memorize, we need to meditate and memorize the Bible. The, the, the next thing when we talk about the Bible is examine Examine. I love this verse. It really ties in with what we talked about here. It's in, in Acts chapter 17, verse 11. And it talks about this group of people, uh, uh, Bereans. Okay, it says, These were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scripture daily to find out whether these things were so. Okay? Not only do we need to meditate and memorize in the Bible, we need to examine Okay. How do you examine whether something's true or not? Do you have a basis of truth? Do you have a basis of truth? And Paul commended the Bereans because how, you know, he didn't get all mad and say, I am God's anointed, how dare those Bereans check me out by what the Bible says? Did he? He said, he said, I commend you. Matter of fact, you're more noble than the others because you went to the Word of God. And you examine the Word of God to find out what, what I was, if what I was sharing with you was true. The next one. Apply. Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 through 27. I want to read it from here because that's my neck will get tired of looking up there for that long. Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 through 27. And here's what Jesus says. This is in the Sermon on the Mount. He says this, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine... And does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house upon the rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and, the heat, and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these, these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat on, the, on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. So what is Jesus saying? It's not enough just to hear the words. There has to be application. We're not here just to gain spiritual knowledge. We're not here to pass some test. We're here to receive the bread of life. So that we can apply these eternal truths into our life. And James, he puts it this way. He says, uh, James 1, seven. Is that it? That's not what I wanted. That's what I gave her. I'm sure. Let's go over to James. I gave her the wrong one. Uh, The one that. Yes, that's it. Okay, 122. What's he say? He said that we are to be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving ourselves. Not enough just to hear it. Matter of fact, if you leave it in the book, and, like I said this morning, and leave it in the church building, it's meaningless. And, and the proof that we believe it is not that we say we believe it. It's that we apply it. If you really believe something, here we get back to that faith, if you really believe something, it will be seen in your life, won't it? It's not just, in, again, in stating something. It's a way that you live your life. The next one is listen. 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 10. It said, Now the Lord came and stood and called, as, uh, as, as at other time, Samuel, Samuel. And, the, and Samuel answered, Speak, for your servant hears. I like this verse and the whole thing that's around. You. And you're going to have to read these whole things. I can't do them all tonight. But the point here is, When you read the Bible, you need to listen for the voice of God. Again, it's not merely just words on a page. Anybody can read the words on a page. Some of the guys that we we studied in progressive Christianity read the words on the page. I, 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 I talked about Bishop Sponge a couple of weeks ago. And I forgot the group that he was with, but the group that he was with was called the Jesus Seminar as a group of apostates, I call them religious deadheads, who took the Word of God, and they color-coded the Word of God, and, and particularly the Gospels, and they, they tried to decide for you and me the things that Jesus actually said, the G- things that Jesus actually did, and the, and the things that he actually did not do. And when they finally got down with their little crayons and stuff, they finished up that Jesus said very little of what the Bible says that he said, and did very little of what the Bible said that he did. Okay? We need to understand that when we're in the Scripture, we need to listen to the voice of God. Anybody can read words on a page. But what did the writer of Hebrews remind us? That the Word is alive. And that it's sharper than any two-edged sword. And isn't it interesting that when Jesus is described in John chapter 1, verse 1, what's He called? He's called the Word. And it says this, in the 14th verse of that first chapter, it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And it's the exact same word, Logos, that is used when we talk about the Scripture itself. Okay? So, what's, what's important here is to understand that, that this is the living Word of God. And, and the intent of opening this book is just not to read words and not just to study and not just to meditate. All those things are important, but, but the, the intent is to hear from God. I like to say, this is God's message to you. And I've had one guy tell me one time, Pastor, I don't spend a whole time reading a book. I just just listen to the Holy Spirit. My my response to him was this. How do you know it's the Holy Spirit? And he got a little bit indignant with me. (laughs) But that's a valid question. Because this very Word tells me and you that we are to test the spirits to find out whether or not they're of Christ. How do I do that? I like what they told me. That sounds good to me. How do you test the Spirit? What is the unchangeable, objective truth by which you and I test the Spirit? We get back to the Word again. Okay? So we need to be able to listen. The the last thing is we need to study. 2 Timothy 2.15 says that we are to be diligent, or some of your translations will say, study to present yourself approved to God, a workman, who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Peter reminds us of this, which ties in with this, this matter of study. No scripture was ever given by private interpretation, nor was it meant as for just merely private interpretation. I want to remind you, to study the Word of God is not sitting around asking everybody what they think a verse says. Studying the Word of God is finding out from our teacher, and from comparing Scripture with Scripture, finding out what the Word says. Everybody understand the difference there? You can sit in a class all day and like, well, I think this means this, and I think this means this. And all you all you're going to end up doing is sharing your ignorance. Bible study is not... Asking her by what they think the Bible says. Bible study is finding out what the Bible says. And you and I have the perfect teacher. We go back again to listening. It all ties together. The Holy Spirit will be your teacher. Okay? As we When we went to the Word Faith Movement, the statement made over and over again. I'm about to tell you something you've never heard before. Never been discovered in the church for 2,000 years. Again, what goes up at that time? What should go up? Your spiritual antennas. Someone has a new discovery? Some new truth? Some of these guys claim that, that the Holy Spirit wasn't even working in the church for 1,500 years. Really? Crazy claims. Be careful of those things. Alright? But you have to study. Alright? So, first two defenses. Prayer, Bible. So you say, Pastor, this all is real basic. That's the point. See, what people want to do... I just, I just want to say this right here. What people want to do... As they, want to, they want to run after the, 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 the newest thing. The newest zing, you want to say. The problem with zinging is that you get used to the zing and you've got to find a bigger zing. Because the way you felt about your first zing, you get used to it. Yeah. And so what are you going to do? I'm just saying. Many of these word face churches it starts out with we've got to do this and and uh, and I'll, let me just say speaking in tongues. Do I believe in biblical speaking in tongues? I do. I am not a secessionist. You probably know that by now. Okay. Some of you may be. That's okay. I can be corrected when you get to heaven. Okay. So, but I do believe in biblical speaking in tongues. I've heard our own missionaries talk about it. What I don't believe in is what is being referred to as speaking in tongues in many congregations like the Frederick Casey Price that we talked about one time. We shared some of his thoughts where he said, and he was a former Baptist, he said, and we're going to show all you Baptists what it means to speak in tongues. So church, speak in tongues. And this church, a couple of thousand, all begin doing their thing. Well, after a while, speaking in tongues does not give us a big enough zing. So then we have... Let's knock people over with slaying them in the Spirit, which is not found in Scripture anywhere. By the way, I I take that back. It is. Acts chapter 5. Remember Ananias and Sapphira. You probably don't want to be like that. Okay? From there you have, from there you have, that's not enough, so you have people barking and squawking and laughing in churches. And they got to see a glory cloud and glitter flunked. Falling down from the ceiling and and just, you know, claims of of guys preaching. And, and I know many of you think many times I'm about ready to fall off the platform up there. But guys claim that they've actually walked off the platform and stayed at the same level. Because the zing never lasts. We're not here for a zing. We're here to experience the living Christ. Nothing greater. And it doesn't need to be turned into a sideshow. Alright, let's, let's move on. So, the prayer, the church, great defense. Prayer of the Bible, excuse me, great defenses. But the next defense is something that a lot of people are running away from today. That's the church. Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Do not forsake the assembling of yourself together. There's a need for the body of Christ. We're not perfect. You'll get irritated with one another. You'll hear things you don't want to hear. But we need one another. That was His plan. We are imperfect people who have been made perfect in Christ Jesus, who are serving a perfect Lord. We are the church. We are the body of Christ. What kind of church do you need to go to? Because every church is not a church, biblically. Just because people gather and do religious things does not make them a church. That's that's across the spectrum from the from the fantasy groups to the to the real strong legalist groups. You know, what do you want when you're looking for a church? Well, we want to we want to be involved in a church where where God is worshipped through prayer and praise and proclamation. And we went back to that prayer thing again. Prayer and praise and proclamation. You can read all. Let's look at Psalm 150. I love this this song. Psalm 150. Okay. Here's what he says. Praise the Lord. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in His mighty firmament. Praise Him... For his mighty acts, praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with the sound of the trumpet. Praise him with the lute and the harp. Praise him with the tremble and dance. Praise him with string instruments and flutes. Praise him with loud cymbals. Praise him with clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Now, I think maybe you could do those things on your own. I think you could. doesn't make much sense though, does it? I think he, he intends, even David there is intended for us to assemble together believers and praise God in this way. I want to be involved in a church where, where God is worshipped through prayer, through praise, and through proclamation of his word. You want to belong to a church where there is unity in Christ, and it's seen in the community, that is, the unity of the body. It's seen in our confession. That, this confession is not so much confession of sin, but confession of our faith. We have one faith. We have one faith. And one where, uh, people are encouraged to contribute. What do I mean by that? To be a part of the body is not to be just a soaking part of the body. Just to show up. We miss the church. We miss what the church is. If anybody thinks that being a part of the church is just to show up for Sunday. And unfortunately, for too many people, that's their view of what church is. Being a part of the body requires contribution. It requires it. If your foot decided it wasn't going to contribute to the rest of your body, what would you be doing? You'd be dragging that thing around. Because it's connected. It's connected. So it would just become this dead piece of meat that you're dragging around. Your foot was put there and was intended to be a part of the rest of your body. That's what Paul tells us in in the book of 1 Corinthians. He reminds us that that we are one body, but we are many parts. And you know what he he says? He says, no part is unimportant. No part is unimportant. There is a diversity of parts, as there is a diversity of gifts, but no part is unimportant. Even the smallest part is important to the whole. And unfortunately, our churches they used to say, I remember uh, about 30 years ago, that 20% of the people do 80% of the contribution. And we're talking across the board. That's giving in finances. That's giving in, in service. That's giving in all those things. And I don't think it's that high anymore. Even in the, uh, in the evangelical church. Okay? We are a part of the body. It requires that we contribute. And a couple of verses there uh, that you can look up. Uh, I won't look at it right now. I'm sure she put them up there so you can look at them. The last, the last part, we want to be a, a, a part of a church where disciples are made. And I put on there the verse from the first part of the Great Commission. That we are called to go. And to do what? What's it say up there? We are to make disciples. It doesn't say merely make converts. You say conversion isn't a part of it? Well, of course conversion is a part of it. You've got to be converted in order to be made into a disciple. If you think about it, the first part of discipleship is conversion. You know, it's like Jesus asked those people to come follow Him. They would have to make a decision for His Lordship in their life, His being their Savior, and then begin to follow Him. And you want to be a part of a church where it's not merely... A place where, where there's no equipping going on. There's no, uh, growing of, 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 the saints. There's no teaching going on. Uh, I sat, uh, Teresa and I sat in a church, uh, the first part of my ministry. I, I went, went and helped with the Sunday school. I was, um it was a little part-time mission work. And we had a pastor there. He had a wonderful heart. But he really was an evangelist. He really was. And he had, he had about 12 sermons. He had about 12 sermons. And, We've got the salvation sermon every Sunday. Well, there's 40-something people there getting the 40-something believers there getting the salvation sermon every Sunday. What happened was we heard sal- about salvation, which is wonderful. I like salvation, don't you? But there was no growing of the body. You know, we were when David Hetty Britt reminded me. He says he, he told me he's got a you know he's got a packet of good ones sermons that he used over and over. He does seminars. That's a great calling too. Just like the evangelist is a great calling. But there's a difference between an evangelist or a seminar leader and a pastor. Because a pastor has to prepare every week. Every week. Three or four different teachings. Okay? So, that's part of the discipleship. It's not my intent just to, just to do salvation messages. I'm not a, a Against that, I love salvation. But but my primary call is what I said this morning in Ephesians chapter 4. That is to lead this church and, and, and teach the saints that they would be prepared to do the ministry. Right? So, the defense. Do you ever realize that the body of Christ, the church, is a defense against apostasy? It is. How did Paul put it? In his letter to the church at Corinth? When he talked about how a church service was supposed to go and he said something like this, he said, said, when you gather together, let two or three of you speak at the most. And then it says this, and then let the others judge. Okay? It's not a judgment like a beauty contest of saying, you know, I liked him better than I liked him, and you know, he was more interesting and stuff. What were they judging? The content. The content. The body of the Christ helps keep away from apostasy. One of the reasons why I encourage you to know what the Bible says is to challenge anybody who might lead you astray. When people check their brains at the door and don't read the Scripture, then they can get like many churches where what they believe is what their pastor says. I always want to tell you, don't ever tell anybody that I, you believe something because I told you it. Don't ever say, that, oh, we believe this because Pastor Tony taught us this. Find out if it's true, and let the basis of your of your statement of truth be the Word of God. Okay, so you want a church of disciples, and you're making disciples not of a pastor, not of a local church. You're not you're not disciples of First Baptist Church, and you're not disciples of the Southern Baptist Convention. You are disciples of Jesus. And if we're making disciples of anything else, then we have missed the calling. And we're just as bad as any cult that that leads people to be disciples of anything or anyone other than Jesus Christ. Our, Our allegiance is to Jesus. And it must be that way. Because every organization can go the wrong way. You understand that? What are you going to do if the organization that you've affiliated yourself with decides to go a way that's contrary to Christ? What are you going to do? I hope you're going to be one who stands and say, we'll follow Jesus. We'll follow Jesus. Alright. The fourth uh, defense is defense itself. Look at 1 Peter chapter 3. Boy, it's hot in here, isn't it? 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15 through 17. Here's what he said. He said, But sanctify the Lord in your heart and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Let's stop there. What are you supposed? To, you and I are supposed to do? That we are to sanctify our heart in the Lord. That again speaks to that relationship staying close to the Lord listening to the Lord. Everything we talked about how do you sanctify your heart in the Lord? Well, everything we talked about prayer Bible study the, the congregation of, of believers all those things that God uses to to make to prepare our heart but but it, it's not enough just again just to know these things and to apply. But he says that we need to be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks for the hope that is in you. And then he says how we're supposed to do it with meekness and fear, having a good conscience, that they may that that when they defame you as evil doers. Now I, we're going to stop right there. It doesn't say having a good conscience, that if they defame you as evildoers. What's it say? When. When. You need to understand this, that just as we have, or I have pointed out the fallacies and, and, and the heresies and even the outright blasphemy of the word faith teachers, they would turn and say that I'm nothing more than a heretic hunter, a hateful person, uh, someone who doesn't have proper faith, they, they'll turn around and say that. Uh, we talked about the progressive, the progressive Christianity group the last time. They would say that I live in a fantasy world, that I believe in fairy tales, and they would say they would say that I'm I'm intellectually inadequate, stupid. Okay, <laughs> that's what they would say. So, what's going to happen? When you stand and you give a, hope, a reason for the hope, when you defend the truth, those who do not believe the truth will, he's telling you, they will defame you. Okay? It goes on, so when they have defamed you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. In other words, don't give them any reason. If If someone says, Tony, you are intellectually inferior because you believe what the Bible says, my response is, thank you. If they say, Tony, we saw you out there doing this, that, the other thing, which is contrary to God, and we caught you, then I'm ashamed. You understand the difference there? That's what he's trying to tell. If, if the best thing they could say about you is that you are one of them, one of them narrow-minded, Bible-believing Christians, I wear that t-shirt. Okay? You know? Uh, just found out today that, that our friend over at the, the Methodist Church denies the second coming of Jesus Christ. Got a thing from Don Lawrence over at Christ Church and sent me a thing where he says he, he makes folly of people who believe that Jesus Christ is coming again. I think we read something this morning when we took the Lord's Supper that Paul said that we are to do this and remember his death until what? Wow. Okay. He called, a, in a sermon not too long ago, he called one of our ladies who took a stand for, for truth in the community, called her the, the church lady. Like, like from Saturday Night Live just to make fun of her. And got the whole church laughing at her. Because she dared, you know, and then he says, well, they don't understand over there that, that some of our church members are in that play." And he says that with pride. I, I wouldn't say it with pride. Break my heart. You guys need to understand this is where we're at. Okay? So we have a church lady here. I hope we have a whole bunch of church ladies here. Maybe we gotta get t shirts for all our ladies. Church ladies. I'll wear one. Okay? There we go. All right. Alright. <laughs> okay, I didn't really mean that part last part. Verse 17 now. Here's what he says. And he's going to just draw the line for us here, and you have to decide where you're going to stand. You know, we're in that day. You need to decide where you're going to stand. And if you're going to be one of those people that's feelings are hurt because someone's going to say something bad against you, you know what? Bring Gambrell, I will quote him. Spent all week with him. He's in my head. That's a bad. That's a scary thing. But his. You know, he's got a. He's got a three-word phrase for Christians like that. Get over it. And that's what that's basically what Peter's saying here. Look what he says, verse 17. So For it is better, if it is the will of God, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. It's going to happen. Don't be surprised when it happens. Don't be surprised where it comes from when it happens. We're called to defend. And Peter reminds us of that of that call to defend. Well, let's look at the last the last part. I want to to share with you you say, okay. Defense against apostates. Prayer's important. Bible study is important. Church is important. Defending, standing in the faith is important. But what are some of the essentials? When you hear some things that that are not, I mean, right off the bat, that that are essentials that you can, I would say to you, you can clearly say something's wrong here. Jan, are you going to share something? Go ahead. So guess, uh, when he talks about defense, is, is isn't he using that term as it would be in a court of law where you're simply presenting right. evidence in fact? It's not you're fighting back. It's, it's a great point. That's why he says humility and everything. Can I tell you this? God doesn't need us to defend him. He didn't call us to get in the fight over him. Sharon, in Haiti, on the night that I did the the thing, the, uh, the devotional, I got to do the devotional, I said, you know what? Even the Bible doesn't try to defend the existence of God. It just states the fact. Amen. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's the fact. So the question I, I share with the group: the question isn't, "Does God exist?" That's not the question. That, that question has already been settled. The question is, what will you and I do with the God that exists? How will we respond to the God that exists? And see, that's where some of these people just got it all messed up. They think, oh, I just don't believe that God, that God exists, it's in the Bible. And we talked about some of the progressive Christians, that their view of God is completely different than the biblical view of God. So they don't believe that God of the Bible actually exists. Nor do they believe that Jesus of the Bible exists. They have a whole new Jesus that they want to call themselves Christians. We're not here to defend that. We're here to state the truth. Give the reason for the hope that's in us. The reason for the hope that's in me is that there's a God in heaven. The reason the hope that's in me is that there's a God in heaven who loves me. The reason the hope is in me there's a God in heaven who loves me, who sent His Son Jesus to die for my sin. And Jesus did die for my sin. And Jesus rose from the dead. And Jesus is coming back again. That's the reason for the hope that's in me. You can accept it. You can reject it. But that's the reason for the hope that's in me. So thank you, Jen, for bringing that up. Let's, let's talk about these essentials, and I'll close with this. First Timothy chapter four verse 16, and here's what he says there. He said, "Take heed." Okay There's a warning here. Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. There are doctrinal truths that are crucial. Everybody got that? And you don't hear some of these guys saying, "Oh well, doctrine isn't important." Yes, it is. Doctrine is crucial, so he says, "Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this, you will save both yourself and those who hear you." What are some crucial doctrines that that we just can't get away from? I I just, I just put several of these down here. It's interesting that that many of these are what we talked about with the progressive Christians and stuff like that, and even some of the word faith. Remember, they they pretty much denied almost the deity of Christ. He's just another man. Okay, so the first one is the deity of Christ. Is Jesus God? Is Jesus God who came in the flesh? And not merely a good man or a prophet or a teacher or a miracle worker. Okay? The, the deity of Christ is an essential doctrine. You deny the deity of Christ, you have a Jesus that cannot save you. It's an impossibility. Okay? The second one, original sin. Why did I put original sin in there? Because unless you believe in original sin, you will have, there would there be no purpose for you to actually even believe in Jesus. Which again is why it's being taught so many times. There is no original sin, so there's no need for Jesus' sacrifice on the cross and no need for Jesus' literal resurrection from the dead. Okay? The next one. <coughs> the canon. What do I mean by the canon? The Word of God. The Word of God. And we talked about what the Bible means. Okay? The next one. The Trinity. Is the Trinity an essential... Uh, doctrine. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. It's not just some bypassing thing. You can believe in, in the Trinity or not believe in the Trinity. The Bible teaches the Trinity all the way through. It's a crucial doctrine. Okay? We go on to the next thing. The vicarious death of Jesus. What's that mean? That Jesus willingly died on the cross for your sins. He didn't die on the cross because he made the Romans mad. He didn't die on the cross because he made simply because he made the Jewish leaders mad. Were they mad? Yeah, they were mad. But remember the Romans didn't want to kill him. Okay? And remember what he said to Pilate No man takes my life. I willingly lay it down, and if I lay it down, I will take it up again. His vicarious death upon the cross. Okay? The next crucial thing the resurrection. A resurrection is a crucial doctrine. Paul says, and we'll talk about this a course more in a couple of weeks, that if there is no resurrection, if Jesus did not rise from the dead, then our faith is meaningless and we're lost. We have no hope. If Jesus' bones are still in a Middle Eastern tomb over there, we have no hope. But he rose from the dead. Praise God? Okay? And then the next one is the incarnation. That is we already talked about the, de- the deity of Jesus Christ. Now we must also talk about the humanity of Jesus Christ. Because it was a man who shed his blood. I remind you, God does not have blood. He's not made of flesh and blood. Jesus himself said, my father is not made of flesh and blood, but he's a spirit must be worshipped in spirit and truth. So the incarnation had to happen in order for there to be a proper and acceptable sacrifice for our sin. That blood could be shed. And so the man, Jesus, died for our sin. Everybody got that? That's why the Incarnation is so crucial. And the last thing, it's interesting that it came up this week, the second coming of Jesus Christ. Some of you are like, do you really believe the second coming of Jesus Christ is is an essential doctrine? Yes, I do. He said, he said, I'm coming again. And again, as we found out this morning, Paul ties it to to the understanding and and even the celebration of the communion that the church does together. The last words that the angel said uh, to the men on the road to Emmaus, remember that what he said, you men of Galilee, why are you stand here gazing in heaven The Jesus the Christ that just left you will come again in the same way He promised his disciples is he a liar? okay so he promised that he would come again and everybody who I love it, every eye will see him and everybody who's denied the truth of it will see the reality of it when you see people who deny And there are others, but that's really a good start. When you see a teacher or a church that deny these things, you know something's not right. Any of these things. Any of these things. There are some groups called Oneness Pentecostals who deny the Trinity. That's a problem. Very problematic. Okay? Be very careful. Be very careful. All right. So... We are called to contend earnestly for the faith once and for all given to the saints. And God has given us a defense. That defense is to walk in right relationship with His Son, Jesus Christ. What does it look like? That's what we talked about tonight. That's what it looks like. Prayer, Bible study, the joining together with other believers in the body of Christ... Having a a defense for the faith, an answer for those who would would speak to you about the hope that's found in you. And then finally, doctrine. There are crucial doctrines that we stand upon. And many of our forebears died rather than deny those crucial doctrines. Okay? Alright, let's pray. Thank you, Father, for tonight and for your love for us and for your word and for your spirit who teaches us all things. Let your church in these last days be the church that you've called us to be. A people who do not shy away from truth and uh, who just stand in humility and in fear of you uh, and contend for the truth that you've given us. Lord, thank you for that. And we praise you and we ask you to, to enable us to be your church and allow us to join you in what you're doing this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Yes, I love